Decades ago, oil companies like Exxon were already studying the science of climate change. According to internal documents they released, senior scientist James Black of Exxon warned the management committee, In the first place, there is general scientific agreement that the most likely manner in which mankind is influencing the global climate is through carbon dioxide release from the burning of fossil fuels. Black continues, Present thinking holds that man has a time window of five to ten years before the need for hard decisions regarding changes in energy strategies might become critical. That was in the 1970s. Since then, a review of climate models developed during that time has shown that scientists were in fact correct in their predictions about the changing climate. The impact of burning fossil fuels is undeniable, even from within fossil fuel companies themselves. The good news is that some of these companies are now making an effort to shift to providing energy from greener sources. But we still have a long way to go in a short time. How do we reduce the output of carbon and other greenhouse gases in a way that encourages big corporations to act with haste without the burden of saving our futures falling on the shoulders of those citizens with the fewest resources? This is Min Central Currents. I'm your host, Teresa Meese. In the midst of a chaotic summer filled with droughts, floods, fires, and storms, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, released a report whose bottom line was, we must act now to avoid a desperately bleak future. Most importantly, there's still hope if we act now. Today's guest, Henry Jakubowski, is joining me to discuss two legislative options that could greatly help speed us toward our goal. Uh, Henry Jakubowski, uh, I'm an emeritus chemistry professor at the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University, uh, newly retired in May 2020. So as a chemistry professor, how did you get into working on climate change issues? Uh, well. Uh, a chemistry professor. I have a PhD in biochemistry, and I, I've done research uh, and taught for 32 years. Um, again, my main field is biochemistry. It's not economics, for instance. But when I'm teaching biochemistry and chemistry to undergraduate students, I started uh, in incorporating climate change topics into some of my courses. But it wasn't until 2016, as I became well-versed with the literature, and realize that we have a limited time to act, and that as a chemist and a biochemist, I have some kind of agency. I have the ability to talk to people, and you know, some people might listen to scientists, but the idea, some people won't. But I thought I had a almost a professional and ethical obligation 
to bring the message of climate change, initially from the science point of view, to people, not only in my classes, but in uh, outside. And also I am, I have two children, and now I am a grandfather of one amazing little one-year-old girl, Frances, and a, you know another one expected in December, a boy. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I, I, I have an obligation for them. And, you know, collaterally for all the children and grandchildren out there to do what I can, given my knowledge and my ability to interact with people, to bring this message to people, to help them think about uh, their ideas and how we might move forward together collectively to solve this question of climate change's problem. We've been living in the fossil fuel era for a very long time, but we haven't paid the real price for using fossil fuels. Uh, they've been amazingly effective in giving us, lifting people out of poverty, uh, allowing us a lifestyle that is amazing compared to people that lived 100 years ago. But the price we pay for it are things like health prices uh, from essentially the pollution that's released by burning uh, fossil fuels. Um, and additionally, now obviously climate change and the associated effects it has. Since Henry often gives talks about climate change and some of the solutions that we have before us, I asked him just to go ahead and jump right into one of his talks, and I'd ask questions as he went along. So if you think about um, what we need to do to decrease emissions, there are different sectors in our economy uh, that ultimately lead to the emission of greenhouse gases, mostly CO2. So, for instance, there's transportation. You know, you drive around, think of all those cars belching out CO2. Uh, electricity generation or power generation. Um, there's industrial emissions. And there's residential and commercial emissions. And then emissions from agriculture. Uh, sometimes the industrial and agricultural emissions are sort of grouped together. If you think about, well, how much of each uh, that uh, occurs in each of those sectors, it's about a third, a third, a third almost. 30% of, of the emissions arise from the transportation sector. And, you know, of course, we're trying to electrify that, but that takes time. Thirty, Another 30% arises from electricity generation by the utilities. Uh, another 30% approximately from industry and agriculture. Uh, and the, just the 10% the maybe residential and commercial. So those are the big players, uh, transportation, electricity, in, industry, and ag. The clean energy standard targets the 30% of the emissions that come from uh, basically electricity, uh, power generation. And uh, so that's what the focus is for the clean energy standard. Uh, I think we'll talk about carbon fee and dividend later, but let's just stress right now the clean energy standard. So the idea is that we want all the electricity produced in this country to come from clean energy. Uh, right now, a lot of it comes from coal and natural gas. Those are fossil fuels ultimately that release carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. Our goal is by 2030, 35 to make all the um, electric electricity generation that we produce in this country that utilities send out to us come from clean energy. Um, and we're not there now. We have a long way to go, 
but it's doable. Uh, and by clean energy sources, um, you talk about those that have low or zero carbon emission, uh, wind, solar, geothermal, you know, biomass, some kinds of hydroelectric. These are the targets that states are actually mandating now as well. They have set up what are called like renewable um, standards that will require states to, let's say, have a certain percent of their energy generation coming from specific types of uh, clean energy. How we get there in terms of, is, it will be a market-based approach. Not going to pick winners and losers, not going to say one industry like solar should be given more attention than maybe possibly even nuclear. So the idea is the government doesn't pick winners and losers in terms of who, what kind of energies will emerge. The goal is let's incentivize the marketplace so that uh, we can rapidly replace dirty fuels with clean energy fuels. Uh, so the way that's done is that the government says standards, okay, Next year, we want 10% of all electricity generated uh, to come from clean energy fuels. Now, some states exceed that already. Some states don't. Uh, and what the idea is, is that each year you ramp that up. Uh, and you have to set the initial figure reasonably high. If the goal is to reach zero emissions from the electricity sector by, let's say, the year 2030 or 2035, that's a challenge. Uh, so the idea is you have to ramp it up every year. You set an initial value. Okay, we want all, you know, 20% of energy, 20% uh, electricity generated from clean energy, and then you wrap that up every year. So by the time you reach 2035, let's say, it all comes from clean energy. So presumably that's an incentive uh, to um, utilities to start working on that. So what happens is that they have to put financial perks into this. So there are a lot of variants of like clean energy policy, clean energy standards, but one, it has to do with credits. So let's say the government sets the floor, like 20% of the energy, uh, electrical energy has to come from clean energy. So utilities that can, basically the government gives them credits. And so you start off with a series of credits. As years as the years go on, the percent of clean energy required will go up. If utilities meet that, they will be given credits. And that's like a way of making money uh, for the utility company. But it's going to cost them money to produce more energy from clean energy sources. But if the government is giving them money in the form of credits um, when they meet the new goal, well, essentially, that's a win-win for them. It doesn't increase their net cost, and presumably that means they won't pass it on to the consumer. As with a great many things in life, we can all generally agree that it's right to do the right thing. However, once doing the right thing involves spending money, that's when things tend to get a little more complicated. And with resolving the climate issue... It can sound incredibly complicated, but that's why we have Henry here to have this conversation with us. The government is going to have to come up with a way to pay the utilities in the form of credits. 
And of course, that ultimately will come through higher taxes on corporations and maybe wealthy. All these things have to be worked out politically. But that's essentially it. Now, when you get credits, some bills would have these credits tradable. So if a company is doing way better than the standard for a given year, well, maybe what they could do is sell some of those credits to a company that's not. Even though the pace has been slower than it needs to be, there is progress being made, and there has been progress made over the past couple of decades. 25% less CO2 has been emitted to the atmosphere over the last maybe 20 years. And the reasons for those are complex. Partly the states say a certain percentage of the, of the electricity has to come from clean energy. But then there's been this conversion again from coal to natural gas. Both are fossil fuels, but natural gas is cleaner. But there's a problem with natural gas. It still is a fossil fuel, and it will still pump out CO2 into the atmosphere. Some have viewed the transition from coal, 80% of the coal we use in this country is used to generate electricity. That's a lot. So the idea is by transitioning to gas, natural gas is cheaper and it produces less uh, emissions than fossil fuels. But at the same time, it's a, it's a fossil, and coal, it still is a fossil fuel. So we've got to move away even from natural gas. And we do not want to invest too much money in converting coal-burning utilities into essentially gas-burning ones. And Excel is an example of this in the Becker Power Plant. They've decommissioned their coal-burning facility, uh, the power plant has. And that's great because we won't be putting CO2 out from coal. At the same time, they were going to convert to natural gas. But after years of public debate and input from peace people, they've decided not to take that interim step of switching from coal to natural gas and then to clean energy. They're going directly to clean energy. So when we incentivize clean energy, fossil fuels, coal is very dirty. So utilities that use those will have to pay a lot of money to earn those credits. Uh, they're going to have a lot to pay, essentially, in the conversion to uh, greener forms of energy. Natural gas producers, okay, if you get your electricity from natural gas, they also will have to pay, uh, less so than uh, those, those utilities that get their energy from coal. So there's going to be a market force even to get rid of methane or natural gas. So ultimately, that's what we want to do. We're pushing out the dirtiest resources, coal first, then natural gas, and then move on to clean energy. Ultimately, many people believe that the clean energy standard is one of the most important ways to essentially reduce emissions. Uh, the goal is to have the electricity sector to be emission-free by 2035. Uh, that's Joe Biden's plan. And that's going to be uh, difficult, but it's doable. There's going to be a big cost to do that. Nothing comes free. Uh, the price tag might be in the order of $350 billion to do this. Recent analyses have shown. 
However, this is part of the problem. You talk about the cost, and then people say, oh my God, how can we pay that? But then you don't talk about the the benefits that would accrue, the savings that would accrue. It's like our mentality is like we can listen to one thought and not two simultaneously. If it costs three fifty to do it, three hundred fifty billion to do this, how can we do it? Well, we'll probably save upwards of six hundred billion in terms of long term costs, as well as thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives, because in this switch to clean energy, the pollution's gone. The, the pollution from fossil fuel is gone. That's going to decrease cardiovascular disease. It's going to decrease pulmonary disease. It's going to decrease asthma in children, fewer heart attacks, fewer um, early born infants. Uh, the effects are staggering. So when we talk about costs, we always must include benefits. And I think that's something that's left out of the hopper quite frequently. The next thing we're going to talk about has perhaps one of the most eye-crossingly boring sounding names, but it is potentially an incredible solution to the problems we face. That is carbon fees and dividends. The words we use are so important. You know, like, should we use a carbon fee or why not a carbon tax? Well, if you say the word tax to most people, they, they sort of shudder because they don't want to pay more taxes. And that, that includes everybody, probably liberals and conservatives. So people have used a variety of ways to talk about this. And one would be a carbon fee or a carbon price. Uh, it does make sense. You want to price carbon to include all the things that it costs society. To include all the things that it costs society. It can be really difficult to conceptualize what this means, but if you think about it in terms of something more familiar, such as household maintenance, your upstairs bathroom sink has a slow leak, but you're able to keep it under control with a couple towels now and then, maybe eventually upgrade to a bucket that you have to empty every once in a while, until one day you come home and find water pouring out of your main floor ceiling because that slow leak eventually is going to become a catastrophic flood and it will be exponentially more expensive to fix. Expand this concept back out to what we face in terms of the societal cost of the climate crisis. There's a lot of expense that we face if we don't get ahead of this problem. We can spend the money fixing things or we can spend the money cleaning up after things. What people are realizing is that it's a hard sell in Congress, um, and ultimately many of our problems are political in terms of moving, when you use the word tax or fee. And again, it's how you frame the question. Uh, we're going to talk in a second about how to change that phrase by adding the word dividend. But before I do that, I just wanted to talk a little bit about taxes on fuel. Um, we pay already a tax on gasoline. Federal excise tax, and it's about 18 cents per gallon. Uh, and, you know, that's sort of built into the system. It turns out it has not changed since 1993. Now, lots gone on since 1993. If you were to adjust that for inflation, just inflation alone, we should be paying 33 cents a gallon, not 18 cents. Okay. So, but we just, you know, the tax. The tax issue is like, it's a political issue. 
In other words, we should be paying 15 cents more per gallon. But now let's just ask a question, sort of a rhetorical question. I'm not asking you, I'm asking the people that listen to this. Would you pay an additional fee or tax 15 cents per gallon right now? If, if would you, In other words, would you support an uh, increase in 15 cents per gallon on the price you have to pay for the gasoline? And if you ask that question, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rhetorically answer it. I bet most people would say no, uh, reflexively. But let's frame the question in a, in a variety of ways. How about this? Would you pay 15 cents a gallon extra uh, and use that money to help save polar bears? <laughs> Again, I don't think hardly anybody would do that unless you were uh, maybe a biologist. How about this? Would you pay that extra 15 cents to slow down climate change? I think a lot of people might not. How about this, to pay, pay that 15 cents to use that money to switch to clean energy? Now it turns out people like that idea. So it's like framing the question becomes so important. How about this? Would you pay that extra 15 cents to decrease deaths from cardiovascular disease, children's asthma, heart attack frequency? And I think it's never been framed well in terms of health, but I think people, if you ask that question, would say yes. So now how about this? This is an added scenario. What if uh, you said, okay, face the question this way, would you pay, willing to be pay an extra 15 cents per gallon and every quarter the federal government would take that money and send it back to you and put it in your bank account? Getting the money back, that's what we call a dividend. So this is the idea. It's been around a long time. The Citizens Climate Lobby has been trying to lobby Congress to get this dividend added to carbon pricing for maybe over 10, 15 years. Conservative groups like the uh, Climate Leadership Council have been proposing this as well. This is the idea. Do you remember when I said, would you be willing to pay 15 extra cents per gallon of gasoline? Well, let's do a little math on that. So we already pay a federal excise tax on gas, which is about 18 cents a gallon. And it hasn't changed. The federal tax hasn't changed since 1993. Uh, and if we were to base it on inflation, we'd be paying 15 cents more per gallon now. To raise money to address climate change, why don't we add that 15 cents per gallon right now? And then we'll have to raise it 10% a year to increase incentives for business and people to move to clean energy. Now, let's add one more option. Would you pay an extra 15 cents per gallon that the federal government would refund your extra costs from higher fuels and energy prices directly to you into your bank account in the form of a dividend check, something like Social Security? I think if people knew this, they would say, why not? Of course, I'll do my bit. Uh, and this is what the Citizens Climate Lobby proposes, and it's also in many bills in Congress, including the Energy Innovation Carbon Dividend Act. Now, to try to sum this up in an even more concise way, the proposal is that the United States government would impose a fee on fossil fuel companies. That fee is equal to about $15 per ton of carbon emitted from these companies. That amount will likely be passed on from the fossil fuel industry to us as consumers in the form of the 15 cent per gallon increase in our fossil fuel purchases. 
To offset that, the other part of the proposal, the dividend, is that the money that is collected in the federal government from these fossil fuel industries will then be returned to the citizens of the country by way of dividend checks. And these checks would be the same amount for everyone that received them. At this point in our conversation, I took a second to get a little bit real with Henry and explain that I have never done as much math day in and day out as I did when I lived in poverty. Every cent was accounted for coming in and going out. So having lived through that experience and from that perspective of being somebody who has very little and is doing everything that they can to keep health and home intact, the idea of paying an additional fee because a large corporation is polluting the planet isn't exactly an appealing idea. But Henry heard me and he proposed a possible workaround to make it more palatable. Yeah. And I, another idea is like, well, well, maybe to address the problem you talked about, why don't we start the dividend before we actually institute the fee? So what if everybody got two months worth of dividends before the, the actual carbon fee took place? Then I think that would essentially encourage almost everybody to say, this is a great idea. Um, there are conservative groups that support this wholeheartedly. One is the Climate Leadership Council. Uh, it was founded by Jim Baker and George Schultz, former uh, heavyweights in the, in the Republican Party during the Bush um, administrations. Uh, and, you know, they have exactly the same policy. Some people start the initial price at carbon high or some lower, but the idea is this the fee would escalate every year. It has to, and otherwise we won't make our targets. That's true with the clean energy standard too. The incentives, let's say the set amount of percent energy that has to come from clean energy must go up every year. You start with a target and you must move it up every year if you want to get to 100%. Uh, but the idea is that they fundamentally support it and they say one, it's devoid of regulation. It doesn't require any regs. Uh, it's a free market approach. And it would basically work for conservatives, liberals, Democrats, Republicans. It's very fair to everybody. If I were to look at these two programs and say, what's going to happen in this Congress? It seems like all the momentum right now is with the clean energy standard. There are some good things about that. I would prefer, and many others would prefer, carbon pricing. Uh, I want to go over just some of the differences between the two. Clean energy, as you know, this only covers the electricity sector, which is only about 30% at most of the total emissions in this country, uh, whereas a carbon fee and dividend would cover all sectors. All sectors would have to face this. Uh, uh, and of course, that covers maybe closer to 83% of the in, uh, emissions. The clean energy standard, you know, there's all kinds of regulations and complex methods. It's still market-based. Whereas a carbon price, oh my God, it's just, I can conceive of it right now. Here's the carbon price and we're going to ramp it up. It's much simpler. Um, it turns out models show that maybe by 2035, both approaches will clean up 
emissions in the electricity sector. They have to be aggressive. Uh, it appears right now that the clean energy standard is an easier sell in Congress. Uh, again, both are in a way a way of pricing carbon, but they're done through different methods. And I think it's because the carbon fee, uh, this, this focus on taxes is hard sell in Congress. Carbon pricing is the economist's top choice. That's just the way it is. Uh, there's going to be a lot of costs associated with the clean energy standard, but ultimately, I think carbon pricing would be lower, but that's still debatable. Uh, our net goal is clean energy by 2035 and zero emissions by 2050. How optimistic are you that either of these solutions or both might be enacted? And one of the problems in this country is everything is like either or. And I think we have to learn that we have to think broadly. Um, and I don't know how to go about doing that, but that's, that's really the way it is. Now, I talk about the carbon fee and uh, dividend and the clean energy standards. They both require leadership to sell. Uh, and, you know, the climate crisis is probably one of the most unique and serious crises that humanity has faced because it requires a global response. And I keep thinking, well, World War II also required a global response. Uh, that lasted five years. We're in a battle that's going to last decades. And I, I like to, I, maybe I shouldn't use the word battle. One could call it, picking the word, an opportunity, an opportunity to reframe how we live on the planet. How about that? Let's change the words we use. Uh, I just visited the FDR Museum in Hyde Park, and uh, there was a leader who met the challenges of his day which were amazing, the, the Depression, World War II, in ways that lifted the United States and the world globally. Uh, we need such leaders right now. So who are some of the big corporate leaders in this push towards green energy? I have to say carbon fee and dividend has been endorsed by lots of people. Tons of people have endorsed it in organizations. Would you believe that Shell Oil has endorsed carbon fee, Ford Motors, General Motors? Uh, would you believe the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Business Roundtable, um, oil companies, BP? They like the idea because their future will be predictable. It will be predictable. They're going to have to make adjustments. The whole world's going to have to make adjustments. We're going to have to use every tool in the bucket that we can use to get to uh, where we want to go. And if you think about it, from electricity standard, we're starting to do that now, even in addition to the clean energy standard. Biden has called for clean transportation by electrification. We're gonna to have to electrify our buildings. So, you know, a clean energy standard may be the policy that's most politically able to get us through to uh, reduce emissions. Uh, because if we pass the clean energy standard and at the same time, uh, it's not just either or. Electrified transportation, electrified buildings uh, will be moving simultaneously on multiple fronts. Um, we still prefer CCL speaking for them, and many people still prefer the carbon fee and dividend. You've mentioned the Citizens Climate Lobby or CCL a couple times. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about this organization? Uh, the Citizens Climate Lobby, also known as CCL, is a nonpartisan uh, group of people 
that are organized to promote uh, nonpartisan solutions to climate change. We work with everybody uh, with the goal of bringing down carbon dioxide. I don't like, frankly, I don't like the word lobbying, citizens climate lobbying, because that's another word that people, are you just a lobby? Are you paid? No one's paid. Uh, but uh, we have national meetings and uh, twice a year uh, during the pandemic, it's all been uh, through Zoom. But uh, it's an incredible organization. And what I would like to say personally, it's given me a voice uh, because I can talk to people organized at my university, but the thing is, CCL hooked me up with other groups that I was able to use, uh, that able to talk to these issues about, and I've learned so much from CCL. This has been a really big conversation around some complex topics. I really appreciate your time helping to explain this to all of us. Is there anything else that you would like to close out with today? Leadership is vital. Um, I think keep thinking of FDR in World War II. Uh, contact your leaders. And by leaders, I mean obviously political leaders, your house reps and senators, local leaders as well, because some states are moving forward on their own for renewable energy standards and also carbon pricing. And say we must move, we must move together, that this is not a partisan issue. This is an issue when we all have to work together. They have children, they have grandchildren. Just look around the world, think about it, contact them. And I also think people should contact their religious leaders as well. Because per personally, stewardship of the planet uh, is as great a thing as we can do that you can, as you know, working with governments and institute specific policies. The world as we know is literally on fire now. Oh my God, you know, the biggest fire in California history still burns. Biggest fire in, in Russia is a going on. Greece is burning. Turkey's burning. Uh, you have to put out fires early. Otherwise, they grow. Um, and we have to do it now. There's no time to wait. There's simply no time to wait. We've lost a lot of time already. So call, call, write, write. Do everything you can. As I'm wrapping this episode up on the evening of August 17th, the headlines for the past couple of days are a stark reminder that the climate crisis is knocking at our door. The St. Cloud Hydroelectric Dam has shut down for the first time since 1988. The eastern half of Stearns County and all of Sherburne and Benton counties are now in extreme drought. Fires are burning in the Superior National Forest. We must act now. Contact your legislators and tell them to set politics aside. We need unified action on reducing carbon emissions. The science is there. It has been there since the 1970s. We are long past due on decisive action. Our elected leaders must lead on this front. This episode was developed and managed by Bruce Anderson. Production by Riverside Productions, LLC. Music by Epidemic Sound. Send us your questions and comments at host at mincentralcurrents.org. 
You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching Min Central Currents. It's time to take action.